Today is Pentecost Sunday, so if you go to Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 4, before we go into our time of worship, I wanted to encourage us in these scriptures. Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. And the church says, Come, Holy Spirit, come. Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus. Father, for this day that we recognize as your people. The day, Father, that the church was birthed. And the Holy Spirit distributed gifts then, as you do now. To equip the church to do your will. So, Father, may we never think that we can accomplish anything in our own strength. But may we, Father, pursue you and seek after you. May we, as your word says, walk habitually in the Spirit so that we may not gratify the desires of the flesh. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you yourself said that you have to go away so that he will come. He being the Holy Spirit whom you have given us as our comforter, as our guide, as our teacher. So fill us afresh and anew, we pray today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go into a time of worship before we open up the word.
Oh, no. 
Jesus, that your love endures forever. Father, it's your desire that none shall perish. And Father, I thank you that you've begun a work in us and that, Father, you are faithful to complete it. I thank you, Father, that, Lord, you call us to repentance. It's in your loving kindness, Lord, that you lead us to yourself. Father, we thank you, God, that you are pleased to reveal yourself to us through your Son, Jesus, and that through him we know that no greater love than this, that a man will lay down his life for his friends. Thank you, Lord, that you laid your life down for us. We thank you, Father, that you rose again, that you are the victorious one, that you are the Holy One, Thank you, Father, that we who have received you, we who have a, a belief and confession that you are the Son of God, that you have risen from the dead, that we have been born again and grafted into your family, been given the right to call you Abba, to call you Daddy. We thank you, Father, that we are in Christ. And that our hope is secure. That we are no longer bound by the earthly things of this world or bound to our sinful nature. But no, Father, we are now slaves unto righteousness for your sake. And I pray for those who may be among us or those who may be listening online, Father, if they are not in Christ, that today would be the day of salvation. That they would call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Father, we thank you for your great love towards us. So, Father, have your way among us, within us, and through us, that we may be the people of God in our generation that we may go forth and burn bright, knowing that greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. So come, Lord Jesus, come, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Resolve, the second R for 2021, 
I've been talking since the beginning of this year, these three R's that I just believe in, in seeking for not only myself, but for us for this year, that these three R's were, were to be used to encourage us to draw close to Christ, to mature, to grow, to allow our roots to go down deep into Christ, to be about our Father's business. The first R is repentance. The second R is to resolve. The third R is to release. And so today, we're focusing on resolve. Decide firmly on a course of action. Make up one's mind to resolve. The Bible tells us, how does He transform us? By changing the way we think. We know that repentance is the foundation Repent, turn from your wicked ways, and turn unto the living Christ. That repentance is a gift from God. He draws us to himself. He's not stiff-arming us. No, no, we are stiff-arming God. God is compassionate, slow to anger. He calls us to himself. And as we receive Christ, repentance becomes a lifestyle because sin is no longer to be your master. You're not a slave to sin any longer if you are in Christ. In Christ you are set free. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. And as we're constantly reminded, we, we know in 1 John, He says, I write to you so that you will not sin, but if you do... Remember Christ, you all. Run to Him. Cling to Him. Repent. Turn from it. And turn to Him. Go in a different direction. And as you repent, you need to make up your mind. You need to resolve that Christ is your Lord. He is your Savior. He is who you are submitting yourself to. To his rule, his reign. Not because you're forced to, no, because you willingly lay your life down. You've nailed that old man, that old woman, to his cross. Now it's not you living, but Christ living in and through you. And so daily you have to make up your mind to go the ways of Christ. Daily you must deny yourself, pick up your cross. And follow Him. You must grow. You must mature. You must persevere. Because through perseverance, your character is formed. It's matured to become more Christ-like. And then as you persevere, as your character is maturing and growing, you gain hope, even more Hope, that steadfast hope, the hope that we understand that it's only in Christ, and in Christ we will never be disappointed. It's all about Him, you all. So listen to these scriptures that I've given us, and, and I've gone over since the beginning of this year, and again, I keep saying this, it is my hope that by the end of the year we can look back and you can see growth in your life. Others can see growth 
in your life because I keep encourages, encouraging us if we are remaining where we are and not growing, something's wrong. Something is horribly wrong to remain stuck, not progressing forward. So listen to these scriptures, Philippians 4.13, For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Resolve, make up your mind that you can do everything through Christ, not yourself, not your religious works, but through Christ who gives you strength. Psalm 118, verse 6 through 8. The Lord is for me, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Yes, the Lord is for me. He will help me. I will look and triumph at those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in people, to resolve, to make up your mind that the Lord is for you. You will walk differently. You will talk differently. You will think differently. Remember, the Bible encourages us to take every thought captive and bring, in, and bring them into the obedience of His Lordship. That He's given us the weapons of our warfare to demolish strongholds. The Bible warns us not to give the enemy a foothold because if we give him a foothold, and I keep repeating this to us as I continue to repeat it to myself, when we give the enemy a foothold, he develops a stronghold. And the stronghold is a pattern of thinking that you are believing and acting upon that is contrary to the truth of God's Word. And if you are taken captive and a stronghold is established, there's still good news for you because the Bible says He's given us the weapon of our warfare to demolish strongholds. Take out your sword. Take out the living Word of God and begin to apply it, begin to act upon it. You're not just to be a hearer of the Word, you're to be a doer of the Word. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24 through 25, don't you realize that in a race everyone runs but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that fades away. But we do it for an eternal prize. So resolve. Make up your mind to run to win. Each and every single day, throughout your day, set your mind on what's ahead for us. Galatians 5, verse 24 through 25, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to His cross, and they have crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, that is, follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. So, resolve decide firmly on a course of action. Make up your mind that you belong to Jesus and that you have nailed your passions and desires of your sinful nature to His cross. And now, since you are living by the Spirit, you have resolved, you have made up your mind that you are living by the Spirit of God. So follow the Spirit's leading in every part of your life. 
every part of your life. Your life is no longer your own if you are in Christ. If you are born again. Romans 6 verse 11 through 12. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Don't let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Make up your mind. Resolve. Decide firmly on a course of action. You should consider yourself to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Oh, there's good news found in Christ. There's good news for the Christian. I keep encouraging us. The Christian life is not a burdensome life. It is a free life. We are a freed people. We have been liberated. Oh, that we would resolve. That we would decide firmly on the course of action. And that we would make up our mind. That we belong to Christ. Go to Galatians chapter 1. I know we saw this verse last week. But I want us to look at these verses again. Chapter 1 of Galatians, verses 6 through 10. And as we're turning there, we're going to walk through a few scriptures that I hope would encourage you to persevere this week. As I always encourage us, I pray that you would take these scriptures when the notes go out, or if you're taking notes even now as you're listening, that you would go back, that you would meditate upon them, that you would pray on them, that you would seek Christ, that you would ask the Holy Spirit to give you insight and understanding on how to live out these truths that you're going to hear. Listen, we've got, we're living in a world that is growing darker and darker, and we as the church, as you've heard me say for quite some time, should be growing brighter and brighter. Everything, every hour of every moment, every hour, every moment of every day, we are constantly being bombarded by lies, deceit, and lust. Everything that is out there, everything that we're taking in through our ears, through our eyes, through our touch, everything that we're doing we are being bombarded with junk. With so much stuff that wants to try to, to inflame the flesh. To arouse the desires. Because remember, where does sin come from? It comes from the desires that are from within. But as Christians, we are not to be moving and living and thinking upon and allowing those desires to be aroused. Because we are to consider already that we are dead to sin, but made alive by the power of Christ. 
And so if you are not growing, if you are not maturing, if you are not seeking Christ, if you are not applying His truth, if you're not walking in the Spirit, you're going to cave, you're going to give in, you're going to be beaten down. The Bible says that the enemy is roaming around seeking whom he may devour. I keep reminding us that we are behind enemy lines. We must remember that greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. And yet, though we are behind enemy lines, we're purposed for such a time as this. You are purposed. God created good works for you to do. And this generation, He's formed you. He's fashioned you. He knows exactly what He has called you to do. And you and I should be about our Father's business. Because the world is getting darker. It's getting more chaotic. Christians throughout the earth are being pushed out of society. Listen, we don't belong to the world. We're not to fit in with the world. The church has never fit in with the world. And as the days are drawing closer and closer to the return of our Lord, we better wake up and realize that we belong to Christ and that we are behind enemy lines. And each and every single day, we're to be going about our day being about our Father's business, honoring Him, serving Him, loving Him, serving others, loving others. Thinking upon that which is honorable, which is noble, which is pure, which is of Christ. Taking thoughts captive, bringing them into His obedience, sharing the truth. Serving, being tender-hearted, being filled with compassion. Not thinking of ourselves first, but thinking of others first. And not making excuses for our bad attitudes. Not making excuses for our wants and, and our needs. But thinking upon Christ and Christ alone. And understanding that the hour is wicked and it's growing more wicked by the day, by the second. It's been a quite interesting week as so much stuff has been going on where we've had, you know, popular Christian artists and pastors and people turning from the faith, announcing that they're no longer evangelical, that they've turned from Christ. They call themselves the nuns, N-O-N-E-S. They're ex-evangelical. And they're forming this, this movement of, of, of basically reconstructing faith. And then as I've been sharing the, the Christ Forgiveness Ministries who, who are here, Pastor David and his team who are here from Canada, you know, ministering to our city and to different cities in the United States. And as we've been watching them and being a part of their outreaches here, you know, you, you see the craziness that people believe. 
And the way they, 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 they attack faith, and the way they attack Christianity, and the way that the majority of people think that they are okay. Well, I pray. I know Jesus. I go to church. I don't have to be born again. And you can hear the lies that they are believing. And then you hear these other uh, beliefs and their belief systems and what they think. And you just go, oh God, look at what we're up against. When you see perversion running amok. When you see uh, just the greatest filth being turned into what is normal now in our society. And then I think upon our lesson from Friday night out of the book of Revelation. And the great harlot, the great prostitute drinking from the cup. And it's overflowing. And what people had been deceived by and given over to just because they want, they want, they want, they want. And how they're so easily deceived. Setting the stage for the end times. And glory to God, those times have to come. Because Jesus is returning. But are we ready? Are we prepared? Are we ready to meet our King? Are we being about our Father's business? When all this chaos, when all this brouhaha, when all this filth is just running amok and growing... Leaps and bounds. It's just getting darker. We should be fanning the flames. We should be burning brighter. Knowing that our home is not in this world. And we are going to be pushed out of it. I mean, for God's sakes, the Bible tells us there's going to be times when they will kill us. And they actually think they're doing the will of God. Are we ready for those times? And I've said it for years now, I don't think that the church has done the, a good job preparing us for these times. No, I feel we've catered to ourselves to try to feel, find somehow to feel comfortable in this world. But this world is not our home. We cannot adopt the world's culture to fit in. And still give them Christ. It doesn't work that way. If that's how we're doing it, and that's the Christ we're preaching, that's not Christ at all. Because the message of Christ, the message of the gospel, offends the world. The world rejects it. For God's sakes, Christ himself said, if they hate you, it's because they hated me. Look what he endured. He came and was among his creation, and his creation rejected him. The cross was always purposed. He knew. He knows the hearts of men and women. But for those that he has called out, for those that have, have listened and turned to Him, they are 
born again of a new nature. Born again. And if you're not born again, you're not in Christ. No matter how many, how long you've gone to church, no matter what scripture you know, no matter how your prayer life is, no matter what religious duties you do, if you are not born again, you're not of Christ. You must be born again. You are made new. You can't claim Christ and keep living as you were. That's not the Christian way. That's not the way Christ has declared it to be. And we better wake up. Because as it's getting darker, many people are going to begin to turn from the faith and begin to follow doctrines of demons. And I've always encouraged us, you should not be learning your theology from the devil. You're to be led by the Holy Spirit, not by demons. You're to be led by the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit you have received, if you've received Christ, if you have a belief and a confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that He is risen from the grave, you've been born again. This is what defines your life now. Your inner being, everything about you, begins to come forth from that truth. And your life begins to change. Listen again to Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 through 10. I am shocked, Paul writes to this church, that you're turning away so soon from God who called you to Himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be good news. But it is not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us, or even an angel from heaven, who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. I say again what we have said before. If anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcome, let that person be cursed. Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Oh, how I pray that we have ears to hear. Because there's a lot of nonsense being taught out there. And it saddens me when I see these cults, when I see these other religions that uses Scripture. No more Scripture than Christians. The other night as we were watching, if you watched it, the Hebrew Israelites, as they were going toe-to-toe with Christ's forgiveness ministry and these Hebrew Israelites, they were just using Scripture back and forth, back and forth, back and forth to state their case, to state their claim that they have the truth. And yet only if they would have read Galatians chapter 6 through 10, when you understand how this movement, how their movement formed, as I went back and began 
<coughs> to study how they came to be. It was years ago that these two men said that they received a revelation from an angel. They received a revelation, a new revelation. How sad. How sad. Listen to what Paul says even here. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us, or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. I say again what we have said before. If anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcome, let that person be cursed. Listen, we don't need a new revelation. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. There's no other way to God but through Jesus. And you hear these cults. You hear these other groups who are so passionate about what they believe. Even if you watch a little bit of the, the clips from last night, you hear these people who believe that they're Christians and that they can continue to sin. They can continue to live however they want and they are right with God and they are passionately pleading their case and their belief and they're mocking truth. They're mocking God. But yet they believe in what they believe in. It defines them. And as I said last week, it's the most craziest thing that when we are apart from Christ, when we are just bound to sin, we are basically fighting for the right to continue to remain yoked to that which is killing us. That's how deceptive it is. Nothing good can come from the flesh. Nothing good. And yet people fight and demand their right to it. I can love God. I can go to church. I can do this and I can do that. And I can still be and do whatever I want. And then they layer it on with, because God loves me. And I've shared with you before. Yes, God loves us. But it is because of His love that He sent His one and only Son that whoever would believe in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. If it was just God's love that was going to save us, Jesus wouldn't have come. And then for goodness sakes, last night this Muslim guy was trying his hardest to defend his faith and try to talk these ministers of the gospel in circles around and around and around and around and around. Oh, you better know truth, you all. You better know truth. You better be able to stand for truth. And it's sad, you can't hardly get people to come to church. Come to Bible study. Can't even get them to come to prayer. You hear reports of, of, of the thousands that are just falling out, falling away. How sad. How sad. 
and they point their crooked finger at the church. And in reality, they should be pointing it at themselves. Because it's not about a building. It's not about an organization. It's about a group of people who have been born again. Lives have been changed. The roots are growing down deep. They desire fellowship with Christ and with each other. The church is a gift from God. We're called together. We are one. He is the head. We are one body. Called to serve our God and others. The Holy Spirit is distributing gifts among us. And yet we're scattered. And that ought not be. That ought not be. We are to be drawn to Christ. Drawn to each other. To live on purpose. To be able to stand. And stand there for it then. And after we've done all we know to do, we will keep standing and trusting in the Lord because our battle is not with flesh and blood, but with rulers and principalities in the air and the darkness. And we're trusting our God to see us through. I told you, we all have a sad story. Even in the church, we all can go around and tell our sad stories about the church. Stop talking about the sad story and start talking about his story. We're focused on the wrong thing. We're to be focused on Christ. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Paul tells these Christians, I am shocked that you're turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. Scriptures I want to hand you in hopes that you would go and that you would pray through, you would meditate through, that you would grow in. Chapter 5 of Ephesians, verse 1 through 20. Living in the new light. Living by the Spirit's power. Verse 1 through 20. Listen to what Scripture tells us. This, this isn't a suggestion. This is how we are to be living. Imitate God. Therefore, in everything you do, because you are His dear children, live a life filled with love. Follow, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. That there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene, obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be faithfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of the world. So don't be fooled by those, listen to that, 
Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey Him. Don't participate in the things these people do. Listen to this. Resolve. Make up your mind, you all, for you were once full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces, look at this, only what is good and right and true. Carefully, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. That is why it is said, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand that the Lord wants you what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh church, this is how we are to be living. This is how we are to be growing. We will never reach perfection. We're not perfected until we are with Him. But we ought to be maturing. We ought to be growing. We can't use the understanding that we won't be perfect to give us the license to continue to sin. It's the power of God. It's the grace of God that transforms us. The grace of God is not just the license to keep living how you want to live. And if that's what people are teaching, and if that's how you are living, you're making a mockery of God. You're trampling around on His blood, making it common. And God help you. There is a way in which we are to call to live. Go to Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 through 9. The peace of God. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 through 9. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate, look at this, in all you do. Remember the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. And thank Him for all He has done. And look at this. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace, look at this, will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. 
And so now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. There is a way in which we are called to live. As you're making up your mind, deciding to go forward in Christ, as you are resolving to live for Christ, that you've decided firmly, you've made up your mind, not because of anything you have done, but because all that Christ has done and the Holy Spirit in you if you've been born again, you're to always be full of joy in the Lord. He says, I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Think about your week. Think about your morning. Think about the last hour. How are your thoughts? What are your thoughts fixed upon? Are you a considerate person? Are you finding joy in the Lord? What do you do when anxious times come? When worry comes? When doubt comes? When, when sin tries to entice you? When the enemy's breathing down your neck? I love this. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. So just don't lay your list of needs out, but begin to thank Him for what He has done. And I love this picture. Then you experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. And it's His peace and His peace alone that will guard your hearts and your minds. As you look, look at this, live in Christ Jesus. This is your position as a believer. You're just not left behind in this world trying to figure it all out. No, you are in Christ and you should take comfort that you are in Christ because when you know that is your position, you know that you are secure no matter what is going on in this world. Nothing, no one can snatch you out of Christ. You are firmly secure. And that's what I keep trying to encourage is you're, even, you're either living as a broken person or you're living as a whole person. And your wholeness comes from Christ. Christ says, peace I leave you, peace I give you. Nothing missing, nothing broken. Oh, but I still have this and I still have that and I have this and that. And again, you can just keep going on and on and on and on and on with your sad story. And I don't make light of it. I've got my own. But if that's all we're focused on, if that's all we think about, if that's what's defining you when you're looking in the mirror, you're just going about your day, if that's all you have is your sad story, then what a pathetic life. Where's Christ in your life? The hope of glory. 
Where is the joy of the Lord? If all you have is your doom and gloom, poor me, my poor pathetic life, all this done to me. Look how I was wounded. Look at this. Look at that. Who wants to look at that? We all have it. But why do we continue to allow that to define us? Oh, we got to wake up. We got to wake up. Think about your week. Think about how you're thinking. Think about how what's defining you. Listen to Scripture. Fix your thoughts on what is true. What is honorable. What is right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. And then keep putting into practice what you're hearing, what you're learning of Christ and of your new identity in Christ. Continue to put it into practice. How many of us are truly disciplined that our minds go straight to thinking on that which is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, and admirable? When times come, and we begin to be shifted. It's where we're to be fixing our minds upon. We're to keep our eyes fixed on Christ. We're to recall that which is good, which is perfect, which is pleasing, which is honorable, which is pure. We're to meditate on these things. And yet... Listen to the words. I have to remind myself, listen to what's coming out of your mouth that is showing you the condition of your heart. And I don't want to get to December 31st and still have that in my heart. We are to grow. We're to mature. We're to allow perseverance, endurance to finish its work. So that we are mature, that we're not lacking in anything. Oh, we got to wake up, church. We got to wake up. Go to Colossians chapter 2. Freedom from rules and a new life in Christ. Colossians chapter 2, verse 1 through 23. Scriptures that we've heard before. There's nothing new. All we have is Scripture. That's all I can preach from. I can get up and give you a ten point sermon on how to live your best life now. And I can give you some motivational guru type stuff. But what good is that going to do you if you're not in Christ? You want your 10 steps to have your life, perfect life now? Open up the Word of God. And you'll soon understand that it's not about this life that you should be grasping for and building for. No, it's about your new life and His kingdom that is coming. That is what you should be living for. And while you are here, you should be a person that is committed to Christ, that is honoring Christ. I tell you, Christians should be the best workers, the best leaders, because we're the best servants. 
Because that's who Christ was. And yet we're all trying to just get up and get going. Give us something that tickles our ears that makes us feel better. There's nothing better than the Word of God. There's nothing better than to hear truth. There's nothing better than to apply truth to your life. Jesus said, as we read last week, to the man that laid there for 38 years on his mat, and all he thought upon was his sad story. He didn't even look up to see Jesus. He wasn't looking for Jesus, but Jesus saw him and said, Do you want to be healed? Then get up. Get up. Pick up your mat and walk. Open up the Word of God, you all. Allow Christ in. Receive from Christ. Be led of the Holy Spirit. And live. Leave the past behind. And move forward. Take a step forward. Listen to the freedom that we have found in Christ in this new life. He writes here, And now, just as you accepted Christ, Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow Him. Let your roots grow down deep into Him. And look at this. And let your lives be built on Him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught. And you will overflow with thankfulness. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking or and from the spiritual powers of this world. It reminded me of all the nonsense that was going on the other night. Or when you hear these cults and these other movements just rattle on craziness. Where are you? Colossians chapter 2. Verse 6, but I should have started at chapter, um, verse 1. But let's keep going from chapter, verse 6. And so, again, it states, And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow Him, let your roots grow down deep into Him, and let your lives be built on Him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. So don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ. Hear that. So you are also complete with your union with Christ who is the head over every ruler and authority. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision. Look at this. The cutting away of your sinful nature. We saw this verse many months ago. This shouldn't be anything new to us. But oh, how I pray, if you didn't grasp it then, you're grasping it now. You're hearing it now. You understand the impact of this truth in your life as a Christian. Look what Christ performed. He performed a spiritual circumcision. 
the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and you were and with him you were raised to a new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature, look at this, was not yet cut away. Before Christ, you were dead. Then God made you alive with Christ, for He forgave all of your sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, oh God, the church ought to be excited in this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Oh, would you just hone in on that? Would you just meditate upon that this week? Would you just let that be your foundation as you go from this place? That you truly know what that means? They just can't be words that you don't know. They should be impacting your life. They should be drawing you further up and allowing your roots to grow down deeper in Christ so you know then how to exist behind enemy lines. <laughs> so don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days and new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. Remember, the religious Jews were trying to come in and put all of their laws on top of these new believers. The majority of them were Gentiles. And so they were bringing confusion. And Paul is clearing it up. For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or the worship of angels, saying they, saying they have had visions about these things. Look at this. Their sinful minds have made them proud, and they are not connected to Christ, the head of the body, for he holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments, and it grows as God nourishes it. You... Resolve, make up your mind that this be your truth. Listen to this. You have died with Christ. And he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. Oh, you can walk upright in a darkened age. You don't have to be afraid that you're going to be overtaken. Oh, would you just stand up and believe? <laughs> That you have been set free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of the world such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help. Oh, please hear this. But they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. When we make it about us, when we make it about rules and laws, 
when we just look at us, me, myself, and I, look how far I've come. I haven't slipped up in 12 days. And we make it about us. When it's all about Christ. When it's all about Christ. People can, listen, a man, the Bible even tells us what man gives thought to, man can accomplish. There's some good people in the world. They don't know Christ. They have overcome great addictions. They give, they serve, and yet they are apart from Christ. Because they deny Christ. But they follow these rules, these laws, these steps, these this, this, that, this, 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 that. They meditate, they pray, they, they learn how to do all this stuff. And in reality, it is nothing because it's not based on Christ. It's based on themselves. God help us. And I keep encouraging us. The world can take kingdom principles and work them and they will receive. That's all they got on this side of heaven. And that's why I always keep telling you, stop trying to give people the kingdom without the king. There's a lot of people who think, well, I know Jesus. Yeah, look, I do this and I do that and this and this and this and that. And yet they don't even know him. They've been deceived because they're just religious. Oh, but he who the Son sets free is free indeed. But you hear that last verse, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. The desires are still there. And they're exhausting themselves within themselves to keep them at bay. But in Christ, they've been dealt with. In Christ, in Christ alone, they've been dealt with. The powers have been stripped. And so when they want to start screaming, when the things are presented to try to inflame them, You stand in the assurance, not in your own strength to conquer them. But they've already been conquered. That's why as Christians, we're not praying from a place of defeat. We're praying from a place of victory. Because we are in Christ. We are seated with Christ. What a beautiful picture. Do you even tell yourselves that? Do you even know your identity as a believer? And the truth in which you can claim and the reality of truth and life of who you are now in Christ. That you are seated securely in Christ. What does that mean to you? How does that motivate you to live each and every single day? Because as you think, so you go. There's a biblical kingdom principle for you. So what are you thinking upon? Oh, you better live it out. 
Because if you're not living out, you're just going to get overtaken. You're going to be swallowed up in the chaos of this world and ultimately into His wrath. And how sad. How sad. Because you're refusing Christ. You're refusing Him. And yet you're sitting in church. You come and go as you please in church. You throw a little prayer here, throw up a little prayer there, post a little something of encouragement. <laughs> you think you're living a Christian life, and in reality, you're not. You've fooled yourself. You've been deceived. You're following a doctrines of demons. You're learning your theology from the devil. And he's leading you straight to hell. And you're going to endure God's wrath. Not because God is a bad God. No, because he's a fair judge. You've chosen to go your way instead of his way. And his way is good. His way is freedom. Go to chapter 3 of Colossians, verse 1 through 17. Living the new life. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, so resolve, make up your mind. Decide firmly that you have been raised to new life with Christ. So set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits, and the place of honor at God's right hand. Could you imagine if you truly believed in what in who you say you belong to? <coughs> Can you imagine what your life would be this week? This afternoon? If you truly believed, truly believed in who Christ is and who you are in Him because of what He has done. You've been raised to a new life with Christ. So set, so set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits and the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about these things or not the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when, you, when, and when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in His glory. I mean, do you talk like this? Do you encourage others like this? Do you receive encouragement from others like this? Or do you just have a form of religion that's not even impacting your life? And if that's what you have, would you come to Christ? Would you accept Christ? Would you be born again of the Holy Spirit because God is pleased to reveal Himself to you through Jesus? Do you really consider yourself dead to this life? And that your real life is hidden in Christ with God. And when Christ, look at this, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all of His glory. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. 
have nothing to do with sexual morality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. Because of the sea of these sins, the anger of God is coming. Yet we're hearing this again in the Word of God. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed. Look at this. As you learn to know your Creator and become like Him in this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and He lives in all of us. Since God, since God, since God chose you to be a holy people, to be the holy people He loves, you must, you must, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. Oh, hear that again. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom He gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord, Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. This is how we are to be living this new life that is found only in Christ. Oh, that we would resolve, that we will firmly decide to make up our mind to live for Christ, to know Christ, to love Christ, you all. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 2. Let's pick up and walking through scriptures. We are walking through scriptures, the Old Testament, the New Testament, then a psalm and a proverb in hopes to encourage you to know your God. If you know Him, you'll live for Him. But if you remain ignorant of who He is, if you keep stiff-arming Him, if you just make it about religious works, you don't know Him. You just have a form of godliness, but you are denying His power. And how sad. How sad. You are to be changed. You are to be transformed. It's a process of maturing, a process 
of growing day by day by day by day, not making excuses, not allowing your past or your insecurities to rule you, not remaining a victim, but knowing who He is and walking in the confidence that He gives as you are filled with the Holy Spirit, who you've been given. He is your counselor. He is your teacher. He is your guide. He empowers you to live this out. You're to walk habitually in the Spirit so that you won't continue to gratify the desires of your flesh. This is who we are now. And this shouldn't be a foreign teaching to Christians. This shouldn't be a foreign concept to believers. Because we are the freed people of, in Christ. We're no longer bound by this world and to our old nature. No, we are now bound to Christ. This is who we are. And so we're studying through Scripture to know our God. To seek for him. Second, I mean, First Samuel chapter two, verse twenty-two. We're going to read through chapter four. We've picked up last week. Samuel has now been given over to Eli the priest. We even got a glimpse of Eli's sons, <laughs> these other priests who were vile, who were wicked. And again, we, the stage is set to give us insight that we as the people of God can remain pure and holy, set apart for His use, even in the midst of a corrupt generation. Samuel could have been led astray as he looked up to these older guys who had no desire to follow God, yet they were doing God's work. They were perverted. They were consumed with lust. They were consumed with power. And yet they did not know God. They gave themselves over to the desires of their flesh. And Eli, who was the, the main priest, he gave up in his position. He allowed all of this to happen. Everything was under his watch. And he did nothing. And yet he was the one that was grooming Samuel. So he had a, a leader who was, who was not even leading him correctly. He had influences that were not influencing him to do what is right. And yet he remained pure. Yet he remained God-fearing, God-desiring. In, in the midst of a wicked and perverse generation. Oh, such great hope. I hope you find in this, instead of making excuses for yourself to remain bound to where you are, to your anger, to your filth, to your lust, to your addictions, Always, if I've said to you over the years, it's sad that we look out and we say, oh, that's just the norm. Boys will be boys, girls will be girls, or whatever they want to be today. It's just the norm. Let them go through it. How wicked is that? No, we're to be training up the youth, 
and the ways of the Lord. We're to be encouraging one another in the ways of the Lord so that we would remain steadfast, that we would remain pure and spotless, even though the, the world around us is contaminated, that we would be able to walk upright in the midst of a crooked and wicked, perverse generation. These are the people of God. And all generations, God has always kept the people for Himself. We, we read just a little bit ago, He's the one that chose us. He's the one that has called us out. Oh, we ought not to be defaming Him. We ought not to be trampling under His blood as if it's just common, as if it means nothing. We are the people of God. We ought to be living for our God. We ought to be worshiping our God. We ought to be praising our God and then fellowshipping with our God and with each other. And we ought to know our God. Verse 22 of chapter 2. Now Eli was very old. But he was aware of what his sons were doing to the people of Israel. He knew, for instance, oh God, look at this, that his sons were seducing the young women who assisted at the entrance of the tabernacle. Eli said to them, I have been hearing reports from all the people about the wicked things you are doing. Why do you keep sinning? You must stop, my sons. The reports I hear among the Lord's people are not good. If someone sins against another person, God can mediate for the guilty party. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede? But Eli's sons wouldn't listen to their father, for the Lord was already planning, oh God, hear this, to put them to death. They were so far gone, they weren't going to change their hearts, their minds, they weren't listening. They, they had no respect for their father. They've seen him grow old, fat, and lazy. He's done nothing. And now he comes to them because of the reports that yet he's hearing, and he already knows what's going on. And the other areas and the other nations at their temples, they had men and women who were temple prostitutes. And so they slept with them, and that was their form of worship to their deity, to their God. And yet here the two priests doing the same thing at the temple of God, sleeping with these women. Oh, what a mockery. And they would not listen. And then I love, oh, would you highlight, circle, do whatever to put this in front of you. Verse 26, all of that was going on. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew taller and, and, I'm sorry, and grew in favor with the Lord and with the people. Praise be to God. One day, a man of God came to Eli and gave him this, this message from the Lord. I revealed myself to your ancestors when they were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. I chose your ancestor Aaron from among all the tribes of Israel to be my priests, to offer sacrifices on my altar, to burn incense, and to wear the priestly vest as he served me. 
and I assign the sacrificial offerings to you, priests. So why do you scorn my sacrifices and offerings? Why do you give your sons more honor? Oh, look at this. Here's Eli's problem. Then you give me. For you and they have become fat from the best offerings of my people Israel. This is what Eli allowed. He took and he took and he took all for himself and for his sons. And look at this. Oh, parents, can we not learn a lesson of this? Why do you give your sons more honor than you give me? And as it is today and as it has been and as it will be, Parents look at their kids and give them more honor than they do God. Instead of holding God's standard up in the house. Instead of teaching them the way they should go, they just pat little Johnny on the head or they just laugh it off. Or they go on the other side. They're so abusive that they crush little Johnny's spirit inside. They don't honor God. How sad. And a lot of them are sitting, quote-unquote, in church from Christian homes, so-called Christian homes. Eli honored his sons and their wickedness more than they honored God. Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel, says, I promise that your branch of the tribe of Levi would always be my priest. But I will honor those who honor me, and I will despise those who think lightly of me. This is God speaking. The time is coming when I will put an end to your family. So it will no longer serve as my priest. All the members of your family will die before their time. None will reach old age. You will watch with envy as I pour out prosperity on the people of Israel. But no members of your family will ever live out their days. The few not cut off from serving at my altar will survive. But only so their eyes can go blind and their hearts break and their children will die a violent death. And to prove that what I have said will come true... I will cause your two sons, these two guys here, to die on the same day. Then I will raise up a faithful priest who will serve me and do what I desire. I will establish his family and they will be priests to my anointed kings forever. Then all of your surviving family will bow before him, begging for money and food. Please, they will say, give us jobs among the priests so we can have enough to eat. And the wicked people will say, sitting in the church, how can God be so bad? Why would God allow that to happen? We don't like that image of God. No, make him, make him, make him easier. Make it out to be a fair God. Listen. 
like I've said when people ask, why would God do this? And my question, my answer will always be, why would he not? He's a just God. He's holy. He's righteous. God is not the problem here. And if that's how you read this, if that's how you see it, if that bothers you, there's something's wrong with you, not with God. Because why are you blaming God instead of looking at the issue at hand? The priest who turned from God. They turned from God. They're the ones in error, not God. But now all of a sudden, God is honoring his word. And all of a sudden we say, oh, you have the problem, God. You're bad, God. How could you say that? How could you do this to these people and to their children? God didn't do it. The priest did it. The people did it. They rejected God. They knew God. And yet they rejected Him. So please, let's get over ourselves. Trying to make Him out to be what we want Him to be. He's God. And oh, this should drive a little fear within us. That we wouldn't treat him so lightly. That we wouldn't honor his standards that he has set in place. Not only for yourself, but for your children. And do you understand your disobedience does not only impact your life. It will impact the generation that's coming up. That you have influence over. And yet you just want to patty cake with them. You just want them to, okay. And you don't want to speak truth. You don't cut yourself off from them. You don't hold up a standard to them. You just go among them. What a fool you are if that's how you're living. If that's how you're living. They're running this show. And you're condoning it. And yet somehow, well, I'm praying for him. I'm just trusting Jesus for him. And you're not even looking to Jesus. Not even honoring Jesus. Eli kept doing the priestly duties. His sons kept doing the priestly duties. But they were dishonoring God. Check your hearts, you all. Check your lives. Check the influence you're having on your families. Are you just going along? You know what's happening. You know what they're doing. Are you honoring them more than you're honoring God? God help you if you are. He's a God that has no error in him. You won't find any error in God. The error is always in man. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel served the Lord by assisting Eli. Now, in those days, messages from the Lord were very rare. And rare they were because of the foolishness 
that was going on in the in the Israel. And visions were quite uncommon. One night, Eli was almost blind by now, had gone to bed. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was sleeping in the tabernacle near the ark of God. Suddenly the Lord called out, Samuel. Yes, Samuel replied, what is it? He got up and ran to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? I didn't call you, Eli replied. Go back to bed. So he did. Then the Lord called out again, Samuel. Again, Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? I didn't call you, my son, Eli said. Go back to bed. Samuel did not yet know the Lord because he had never had a message from the Lord before. So the Lord called a third time, and once more Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? Then Eli realized it was the Lord who was calling the boy. So he said to Samuel, Go and lie down again, and if someone calls again, say, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So Samuel went back to bed, and the Lord came and called as before. Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel replied, Speak, your servant is listening. Then the Lord said to Samuel, I am about to do a shocking thing in Israel. I'm going to carry out my threats against Eli and his family from beginning to end. I have warned him that judgment is coming upon his family forever because his sons are blaspheming God and he, has, he hasn't disciplined them. So I have vowed that the sins of Eli and his sons will never be forgiven by sacrifices or offerings. Could you imagine having that be the first of what you hear from God? The man you look up to, that you serve. The family that you're living among. God is telling him, I'm about to do a shocking thing in Israel. Something is about to shake like it has never been shaken before. God is on the move. But Samuel, I'm making you aware. Samuel stayed in bed until morning, then got up and opened the doors of the tabernacle as usual. He was afraid to tell Eli what the Lord had said to him, but Eli called out to him, Samuel, my son. Here I am, Samuel replied. What did the Lord say to you? Tell me everything, and may God strike you and even kill you if you hide anything from me. So Samuel told Eli everything. He didn't hold anything back. It is the Lord's will, Eli replied. Let him do what he thinks is best. As Samuel grew up, the Lord was with him. And everything Samuel said proved to be reliable. And all of Israel from Dan to the north of Beersheba in the south knew that Samuel was confirmed as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh and gave messages to Samuel there at the tabernacle. And Samuel's words went out to all the people of Israel. Remember, they were vile, they were wicked, and yet God has raised up a prophet to speak the word of the Lord. 
At that time, Israel was at war with the Philistines. The Israelite army was camped near Ebenezer, and the Philistines were at Avec. The Philistines attacked and defeated the army of Israel, killing 4,000 men. After the battle was over, the troops refreshed to their camp, retreated to their camp, and the elders of Israel asked, Why did the Lord allow us to be defeated by the Philistines? Then they said, Let's bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from Shiloh. If we carry it into battle with us, it will save us from our enemies. Oh, circle that, highlight that. That's important. Just don't read by that. They were defeated. Why did the Lord allow this to happen? So instead of truly seeking the Lord for counsel, they went about doing their thing. And oh, sometimes we're not different. Oh, and what a lesson we can learn from this scripture here. They looked and they saw the Ark of the Covenant. We will carry it into battle with us. Look at this. It will save us from our enemies. Listen, the Lord is not a good luck charm. And sometimes we're no different when life is throwing things at us and we feel like we're just being defeated left and right. Guard your heart, y'all. Don't be like these men. Don't be like these Israelites who turned and saw the Ark of the Covenant. The presence of God. And instead of really seeking God, they sought it to be their good luck charm. We will carry it into battle and we will not be defeated. We will have our cross. We will have our Bibles. We may even fast and pray. We may even do this and to do that. We may even go to church because life is hard. Maybe I just need to go back to church. What are the motives of your heart and what are you using that represents God? (laughs) But you're actually using it as a good luck charm instead of really seeking God. Oh, I hope that makes sense. They took that which belonged to God, represented God, and it has no power without God. Their heart wasn't towards God. You can wear the cross around your neck, you can hold it up, you can throw oil all over the place, You can rattle scripture here and there. You can fast. You can pray. You can come to church. And you're no different than one who was in the occult. Rattling and doing all the other stuff. With their beads and their idols. And it means nothing. Because the presence of God is not with you. Because you've turned from God. And now you're just using 
that which represents God for your purpose. Hoping that your life will be blessed. So they sent men to Shiloh to bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Heaven's armies, who was enthroned between the cherubim. Eli's sons were also there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. When all the Israelites saw the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord coming into the camp, oh, look at this, they shouted for joy. I mean, they shouted of joy was so loud it made the ground shake. What's going on, the Philistines asked. What's all the shouting about in the Hebrew camp? When they were told that it was because the Ark of the Lord had arrived, they panicked. <laughs> the gods have come into their camp, they cried. This is a disaster. We have never had to face anything like this before. Help! Who can save us from these mighty gods of Israel? They are the same gods who destroyed the Egyptians with plagues when Israel was in the wilderness. Fight as never before, Philistines! If you don't, we will become the Hebrew slaves, just as they have been ours. Stand up like men and fight. So the Philistines fought desperately, and Israel was defeated again. The slaughter was great. 30,000 Israelite soldiers died that day. The survivors turned and fled to their tents. And oh God, the ark of God was captured. And Eli's two sons were killed. A man from the tribe of Benjamin ran from the battlefield and arrived at Shiloh later that same day. He had torn his clothes and put dust on his head to show his grief. Eli was waiting beside the road to hear the news of the battle, for his heart trembled for the safety of the ark of God. When the messenger arrived and told what had happened, an outcry resounded throughout the town. What is all the noise about, Eli asked. The messenger rushed over to Eli, who was 98 years old and blind. He said to Eli, I have just come from the battlefield. I was there this very day. What happened, my son, Eli demanded. Israel has been defeated by the Philistines, the messenger replied. The people have been slaughtered, and your two sons were also killed. And the ark of God has been captured. When the messenger mentioned what had happened to the ark of God, Eli fell backward from his seat beside the gate. He broke his neck and died, for he was old and overweight. He had been Israel's judge for 40 years. Eli's daughter-in-law, the wife of Phinehas, who was pregnant and near her time of delivery. When she heard that the ark of God had been captured and that her father-in-law and husband were dead, she went into labor and gave birth. She died in childbirth. But before she passed away, the midwives tried to encourage her. Don't be afraid, they said. You have a baby boy. But she did not answer or pay attention to them. She named the child Ichabob, which means, where is the glory? For she said, Israel's glory is gone. She named him this because the ark of God had been captured and because her father-in-law and husband were dead. 
This she said, the glory has departed from Israel, for the ark of God has been captured. Wow. And the enemy was probably rejoicing, as I'm sure they were. And as I'm sure he does. <laughs> when he thinks he's got the upper hand. But don't forget, God told Samuel something shocking is about to happen to Israel. God allowed the ark to be captured. The ark will be returned, but not until the appropriate time. Oh, you all, let it not be said of our lives that we've given ourselves over to just religious duties, just performing religious works, just using, you know, I shared before, statistics years ago said that the majority of people are sitting in church, they're not sitting in church because they believe, not because they received Christ, because they're superstitious. And how sad, how sad. The glory of the Lord should not depart from the people of God. No, the people of God should respect His presence, His power. We ought to know who He is. We ought to live for Him. We're not to be a superstitious people using relics and, and idols and all this other junk that we put before God. No, God is to be God. And oh, how I pray that we know Him. Amen. So let's go to John. John chapter 5, verse 24 through 47. John chapter 5, verse 24, and then we'll finish out this chapter. Jesus' words. I tell you the truth, those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death to life. Oh, will the church wake up and be encouraged this day? You've received eternal life if you received Christ. You're not waiting for eternal life. You've received it. You've considered yourself dead and alive in Christ. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Those who listen to my message and believe... And God, who sent me, have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins. No matter how filthy you were, it's been wiped clean. The charges are no longer there. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death into life. And I assure you that the time is coming, indeed it is here now, when the dead will hear my voice, the voice of the Son of God, and those who listen will live. The Father has life in Himself, and He has granted the same life-giving power to His Son. And He has given Him authority to judge everyone because He is the Son of Man. Don't be surprised, indeed the time is coming, when all the dead in their graves, my God, 
will hear the voice of God's Son, and they will rise again. Those who have done good will rise to experience eternal life, and those who have continued in evil ways rise to experience judgment. I can do nothing on my own. I judge as God tells me. Therefore, my judgment is just because I carry out the will of the one who sent me, not my own will. If I were to testify on my own behalf, my testimony would not be valid. But someone else is also testifying about me. And I assure you that everything he has said about me is true. In fact, you sent investigators to listen to John the Baptist. And his testimony about me was true. Of course, I have no need of human witnesses. But I say these things so you might be saved. John was like a burning and shining lamp. And you were excited for a while about his message. But I have a greater witness than John my teachings, and my miracles. The Father gave me these works to accomplish, and they proved that He sent me. And the Father who sent me has testified about me Himself. You have never heard His voice or or seen Him face to face, and you do not have His message in your hearts because you do not believe me, the one He sent to you. You search the Scriptures. Oh God, He's talking to the Pharisees. He's talking to the religious men of the day. Very religious people. You search the Scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. But the Scriptures point to me. Yet you refuse to come to receive this life. Your approval means nothing to me because I know you don't have God's love within you. For I have come to you in my Father's name and you have rejected me. Yet if others come in their own name, you gladly welcome them. No wonder you can't believe. For you gladly honor each other. But you don't care about the honor that comes from the one who alone is God. Again, in this part of Scripture, we're getting an understanding of how important it is to honor God. Uh, Y'all not to be honoring others before God. No, God and God alone. No wonder you can't believe, for you gladly honor each other, but you don't care about the honor that comes from the one who alone is God. Yet it is it I who will accuse you before the Father. Oh, Jesus, drive it home, because here he does. They, 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 they pat themselves on their back for knowing the, the, the words of Moses. <laughs> Jesus lays it out for them. Yet it is an I who will accuse you before the Father. Moses will accuse you. Yes, Moses, in whom you put your hopes. If you really believed Moses, you would believe me. Because he wrote about me. But since you don't believe what he wrote, how will you believe what I say? Jesus is all through the Old Testament, you all. It is there pointing to him. And these men knew the words of Moses. And yet, Jesus says to them, your father's the devil. 
You believe in these words, but they point to me. They point to me. Believe in me. Oh, I pray that you are believing in Jesus today. Psalm 106, verse 1 through 12. Psalms 106. Verse 1 through 12. Here we go. Praise the Lord. Again, praise the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord for He is good. His faithful love endures forever. Who can list the glorious miracles of the Lord? Who can ever praise Him enough? There is joy for those who deal justly with others and always do what is right. Remember me, Lord, when you show favor to your people. Come near and rescue me. Let me share in the prosperity of your chosen ones. Let me rejoice in the joy of your people. Let me praise you with those who are your heritage. Like our ancestors, we have sinned. We have done wrong. We have acted wickedly. Our ancestors in Egypt were not impressed by the Lord's miraculous deeds. They soon forgot the many acts of the kindness to them. Instead, they rebelled against Him at the Red Sea. Even so, He saved them to defend the honor of His name and to demonstrate His mighty power. He commanded the Red Sea to dry up. He led Israel across the sea as if it were a desert. So He rescued them from their enemies and redeemed them from their foes. Then the water returned and covered their enemies. No one, not, I'm sorry, not one of them survived. Then his people believed his promises. They then sang his praise. Oh, how I hope that we as his people are praising the Lord. Proverbs 14. Two nuggets of wisdom to carry you through the week. Proverbs 14, verse 30 and 31. A peaceful heart leads to a healthy body. Jealousy is like cancer in the bones. Those who oppose the poor insult their maker, but helping the poor honors him. Oh, that we would be the people of God, you all. I'm going to close this with this last song, and then I'll close this in prayer.
Bye-bye.